will start when it's touched. Havlicek touches it. It begins. Three seconds. Hondo off the go. He's got it in second. John Havlicek won it. It's Pierce. Is this the dunker? Johnson gets it into Bird. Wilkins is there. Bird comes free. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Celtics Beat. Ty Ray along with Dr. Andre Snellings from Rotowire. How's it going, Andre? It's been a while since we posted a show together. Oh, yeah, yeah. Long time no see, but um, uh, it's good to be back in the saddle with you. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. Anything going on at Rotowire we should be aware of? You know, Rotowire, it's a a fantasy sports site. So year-round, all the time, there's something going on um, relevant to sports. So right now, obviously, it's baseball season. And baseball is a really long season with a lot of moving parts. So if you're interested in fantasy basketball, I'm sorry, fantasy baseball, Rotowire is the place to go because we'll tell you who's the next to be called up, um, who's the person you should worry about fading down the stretch, you know, all of the information you need to dominate your league. And then in a month or two, football will be coming. So, yeah, you always need to check in with us. Are you doing anything in regards to the draft, NBA draft? So, um, as far as Rotowire goes, I'll be, you know, watching the draft, seeing who goes where, and probably putting together uh, an article right after the draft projecting which of these new rookies will, will make the, both, the, uh, the biggest fantasy impact. And then um, next month, I'll be going to Las Vegas, and I'm going to check out the NBA Summer League in Vegas. And so I'll get to do some live scouting. And um, Nice. Yeah. Lucky you, man. Yeah, that, that's, that's one of the, my favorite parts of the gig. I get to do that every year. I remember um, the Celtics used to, to come out to the Vegas leagues. I remember when uh, Glenn Davis was a rookie. And, ah. and watching him from courtside, because essentially you're sitting right next to the players. And his calves were so ridiculously big. We were like, his thigh just extended down to his shoe. Like, it was crazy. So, so yeah, it's always good to check out the, the young folks and um, uh, get an early impression on them. Yeah, think about it. We saw Sully in action, Jared Sullinger at the Summer League in Orlando. Same for Kelly Olenek last year. So the Summer League is always fun to watch these, these young kids perform early on. We're going to have a great show today. We have Sean Devaney from Sporting News. He's an NBA writer there, and we've had him on before, and he is terrific. And of course, Andre, what are we going to be talking about? (laughs) We're going to be talking about one guest here, Kevin Love. I feel like the city of Boston is having this huge bromance with Kevin Love. And I'm still not sold, Andre, that he's the answer. You're not sold that all you need is love? Yeah, no, no. It's a great song, but I'm not so sure that Kevin Love is going to bring you an NBA title. Yeah, I mean, it's an excellent point. You know, um, well, first of all, we should have a contest to see how many Kevin Love uh, puns we can get into this, uh, <laughs> into this broadcast. But make it a drinking game. Exactly. There you go. Uh, we're ready to take some shots. But no, uh, <laughs> Kevin Love. He's he's an interesting player, and I, I look forward to getting um, Sean's opinion about this as well. We, we talk a lot about Rajon Rondo and whether he's really the man on a, a championship team. The same question could be raised about Kevin Love. You know, he's put up some mind-boggling stats, but he's six years in and he's never played in the playoffs. Is that only because of his, his environment? It, it sure seems like Minnesota has some reasonable talent on it. You know, Ricky Rubio's not a bum. Uh, Kevin Martin's a good shooting guard. They have some really good uh, centers and, and, and Pekovic and... 
and, and even Georgie Dane came in and, and, and did some nice things for him this year. So, yeah, it, it, the jury is a little bit out on to Did I lose you, Andre? Uh, well, I, I finished uh, my and, and then it was silence after that, so I, I don't know how much you heard. I didn't hear anything, actually. Do you want to start over again? Okay. Yeah, where, uh, what, what was the initial question? I started. Well, yeah, we were just talking about it, you know, the Celtics having a bromance with Kevin Love, and I said they're not sold. Oh, yeah. I'm not sold anyway on him bringing them a title. Yeah, okay. So, end um, <clears throat> scene. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point because, you know, Love – really has some of the same question marks about him that we've had in Boston with, with Rajon Rondo over the last few years. You know, um, can he be that superstar best player on a championship team, or is he more of a support guy? You know, Love has put up some mind-boggling box score numbers over these last few years, but if you look at it, he's six years into his career, and he's still never made the playoffs. And it's not as though the Timberwolves have terrible talent around him. I mean, Ricky Rubio is not a bum at the point guard. Kevin Love is a solid shooting guard. They got really good production this year out of Pekovich and even Georgie Dang um, at their center position. So you would think that maybe that would have been enough support for a, a front-end superstar to, to try to drag his team to the playoffs. And that didn't happen. So, you know, I, I think Love does have some questions to answer. And um, maybe the positive about if he potentially comes to Boston is that he knows he has those questions to answer. And he, I have to feel like he knows that if he goes to a new destination, there are going to be high expectations. So he's got to be expecting to come in and really deliver his A game wherever he goes. Yeah, he's a fun player to watch. He fills the stat line, doesn't he, with points and rebounds. But his defense certainly is suspect. And I wonder, Andre, if he's not a complimentary piece to a championship team or a guy that will actually lead a team to a championship, and I think it's the former. I think you need somebody really, really solid around him to, accom- uh, to accompany him on a way to a title. I don't think he can do it. He's not a guy that's going to carry a team by himself, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's always an interesting, an interesting way to look at it because, you know, basketball is a team game, and even the very, very best don't carry a team by themselves. You know, we, we saw LeBron James in, in Cleveland, and, and he couldn't get it done. We saw Kevin Garnett in Minnesota. We, we, we've seen some of the best players come along and not be able to get it done by themselves. But even with that said, when you have those really, truly elite players, you don't need nearly as much to get to the promised land. And with Love, you mentioned his defense. For a big man to not have a, a positive impact on defense, that, that's normally a bigger negative than if a small guy doesn't have a big impact on defense. So, you know, Love already is playing unconventionally. And on offense, a lot of times the guy initiating the offense is the one that can have the biggest impact. And Love, by definition, has to play off the ball. So, yeah, there, there are some, you know, he has a fun game to watch and he can put up some wonderful fantasy numbers. Talking about Rotowire, we love him for fantasy. But, uh, <laughs> no pun intended. First pun. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, in real life, you know, um, yeah, the jury is still out. So what does your gut tell you? Is he going to stick around in Minnesota? Is he going to move on? Do the Celtics have a chance? Where do you think we'll see Kevin Love come NBA tip-off? That's a great question. My gut is that he does not stay in Minnesota because we've seen this play out several times now over the last few years 
when you have the superstar who's not happy where he is and makes it publicly known, if he if, if a team just holds on to him, then he becomes a lame duck and nobody really benefits. So I have to feel like he's not going to be in Minnesota. Um, he still holds the hammer because he gets to decide whether he's going to sign with this new team or not. So that means he's not going to go to a bad team. Um, there, there's been talk about him going to Golden State. Um, I could see that being a place he would like to go. He's from California, and you know they're, they're a young team that's on the come. As far as his chances of coming to Boston, there are a lot of parallels between his situation and the Kevin Garnett situation, and maybe there, there's a similar parallel in that love to come to Boston, I think he would like to see that the Celtics really are going to be challenging uh, for, for deep playoff runs in the next few years. So maybe he's looking to see can they pull off another deal in addition to slash before they bring him in, with that being the, the final sweetener to, to get him to sign that extension here. So I don't think he ends up in Minnesota this year, um, but where he will end up is, is still kind of up in the air. Did you buy any of that nonsense that Kevin Love was in Boston? It's a done deal, and Danny's <laughs> showing him off, so Carmelo Anthony will come to the Celtics. Did you buy any of that whatsoever? I mean, you can't buy it. You can't buy it. At this time of year, you, you listen to it. If you're a fan of the team, you enjoy and cross your fingers and hope that maybe it's true. But, I mean, it, it seems pretty far-fetched. So you, you take it with a grain of salt. You say, boy, wouldn't it be nice if, and then you hope that uh, behind the scenes, Danny is, is really doing some hardcore work that's not fantasy to, 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 to really uh, make a good deal. Honestly, if I'm Danny Ainge, I want to stand pat and wait another year than four steals that would bring me a Carmelo Anthony or a Kevin Love if it's at the wrong price. Yeah. Because the options open up next year, really, don't they? Yeah, and, and you know, that's, it's an interesting point with the NBA and especially with their salary cap. You're punished for making wrong decisions almost as much as you stand to benefit from making the right decisions. So um, you certainly don't want to force things. And uh, that's something else that I'm, I'm hoping that I can ask uh, Sean about when he's on. Um, you know, you mentioned Carmelo and Kevin Love and, and Rondo, um, who's, who's already in Boston. Like, are these the type of players that you want to be your nucleus? Or is it better to build through the draft, get some young talent, some young cheap talent, and just stack your chips until you can really cash in on, on, on that true blue chipper. You know, the, the, these are, I'm sure, the things that are keeping Danny Ainge awake at night uh, these days. Is there anybody that intrigues you in the draft at that sixth position? See, at the sixth position, you know, I'm, I'm more of an NBA guy than an NCAA guy. So um, I really know about the Embiid's and the Wigginses of the world that right. be long gone by six. Um, I, I hear nice things about Aaron Gordon, and I'm willing to wait and see. And especially in this draft, you know, the, the story for a long time has been that there are a lot of starting caliber players and potential impact players in this draft. So I do believe there will be somebody there at six that could come in and be part of a number 18 for the Celtics. Um, but I can't say that I'm sold on this particular guy. And if, if, if Gordon's not there at six or, you know, that, that I'll be disappointed. Um, if they keep the pick, then, um, then, then I'm willing to see what happens. And we'll having, we're having a special edition of Celtics Beat on draft night. We'll be on the air live. Host Rich Connie and Calvin Chamberlain will be at the controls. 
We'll have CLNS reporter Jared Weiss live at Celtics headquarters, Matt Rory live from Celtics draft headquarters, and you, of course, the fans, will be the special guests. But I think it's going to be a big night, uh, Andre. I expect I, I expect movement. Then again, I do every trade deadline, too, and inevitably <laughs> I am let down. It, the, there's not a lot of fire, but a lot of smoke, always. Yeah, there's always smoke. And, and this year I, I kind of feel like the Kevin Love situation – adds a lot more potential for fire because this is clearly the most obvious time for a Kevin Love move to happen, whether it be to Boston or to anywhere else. And Love is a big enough piece that if he moves, you could end up getting a down that, that could lead to other. So um, I, I, I is there for you to get your wish there to be a lot of activity come draft night. And um, I'm certainly looking forward to tuning into the show because, um, you know, the team always does such a great job uh, covering these live events. Well, Danny always pulls one out of his hat, too. So I'm going to keep my eyes open. And a name that I'm keeping my eye on, I don't know why I'm thinking Rajon Rondo. I, I, we're hearing a lot about him being a, a great guy this offseason, getting along with Coach Stevens. And part of me is wondering if they're selling him on being such a great guy because they're looking for people to bring him over. They're looking for a trade. Just a thought. Just a thought, Andre. Yeah, that that would be a very interesting misdirection because it, it seems my experience most times in NBA trades is that the ones that they hype up and that are talked about for months and months and months are the ones that never actually happen. It's the one that you're like, wait a minute, what? That Really? That just happened? Like, like they, just, they strike by lightning. And so Rajon Rondo has been the name to watch for the Celtics all year. Will he be traded? Will he be traded? Will he be traded? And all year, consistently, they said the right things, you know, uh, tried to do the right things. Oh, they made him a captain. No, he's going to be here for the long term. He's our guy. And I think now, especially with this uh, lovely situation that we have going on, all of the attention now uh, between that and the draft, all of the attention is on who might be coming into the team. And so for once, the attention is not on Rajon Rondo potentially leaving. So if something were to happen with him, this would be kind of the poetic time for it to happen. Andre, you're the numbers guy. What do the numbers tell you about Rajon Rondo? Honestly, is he worth the long-term yeah. investment? Honestly, yeah. I know he's Mr. Excitement. I said this all the time. His mm-hmm. highlights are more exciting than his numbers, I think, or his meaning to the team. Yeah, his impact. I mean... Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's an excellent point. You know, the the stats that I kind of pay most attention to are the plus-minus stats. And the reason I really like that, that family of stats is because, to me, it does not matter what a player contributes individually as far as his box scores go. What really matters is his impact. How much does him being on the court help the team to play better? And the plus-minus stats are are the closest we have to trying to measure that. And those stats have not been kind to Rondo through the years. Um, Even once he kind of became a central figure of of what was going on um, in the Celtics championship aspiration years, his plus-minus numbers were suggesting much more that he was a role player than that he was a, a franchise savior. And it's hard to overlook it as coincidence that each of the last couple of few years, the team has played better in the games that Rondo has not played than in the games that he has played. Some of that can be coincidence sample size, but at some point you have to kind of start paying attention to it. So 
if if we just have the nerd hat on, then you know the numbers uh, uh, do not suggest that uh, Rajon Rondo is is quite the the superstar that, that maybe we might want him to be. Careful, doctor. Careful. He may be the most polarizing figure that I recall in Celtics basketball history, seriously, because you have the camps that are so passionate about Rondo, and there are some of us, and by the way, I was very passionate about Rondo in 2010, that amazing run he made in the playoffs, but since then, I think we've seen his game fall off, I don't want to say dramatically, but fall off enough for me to question whether or not he's ever going to achieve that incredible level he reached in 2010, again, especially coming off an injury, but I just am not sold on him. I think he is who he is, and I get really tired, honestly, Andre, of people telling me, well, his shooting game is improved. <laughs> really? His free throw shooting is improved. Really? I'm starting to put Rajon Rondo into the camp, and I hate to say this, of Jeff Green. Wow. He is who he is. He, he is who he is. He is who he is, I can agree with. I think that that's something that applies, you know, to, to most NBA players after they've been in the league for a handful of years. You, you start to know who they are. Um, whether I would group him with Jeff Green or not is an interesting question. Whew, because while Rondo, his, his impact hasn't been maybe as positive as, as we might have expected it to be, um, and a lot of times Green measures out his... his Negative, uh, at least as far as the plus minus that's uh, and green is, is, is being similar on the same type of family. But I would say that a lot of times how a player is used has a, a, a big effect on how positive his impact is on the court. And I don't think, you know, you mentioned 2010. I don't think it was to the team's benefit or to Rondo's benefit that after 2010, they tried to make the offense more Rondo centric. I don't think he's the type that you just let him have the ball and make all of the decisions and it's okay if he has 15 assists and, and nine points. You know, I don't think the, the offense is best served. I don't think you can make an efficient NBA offense built solely on Rondo's strengths. However, if you make him more of a facilitator – always the decision maker, someone that has other good offensive um, uh, weapons around him, uh, and really another initiator who can shoot um, next to him so that, especially in crunch time, you don't have to worry about a guy that can't shoot having to take the bailout shot or the free throws. Then maybe he can be more of an impact guy, but that plays to the mode of, well, then he can't be the only superstar, um, which brings us back to where you started. Is he maybe not worth the max long-term type deal? I just don't see it. I just don't see it, Andre, moving forward. And I think right now, isn't Rondo's value more than it's ever going to be? I don't know that it's more than it'll ever be. I think because of the injury. Were it not for the injury, if he had just played it out this year on a bad team and put up some really great numbers, then, yeah, I would say it's, it's his highest value. But um, there are still some that might say, well, this was injury recovery year and – Next year, he has a chance to really open some eyes, put up some triple doubles, and, and generate a lot more interest. Um, I mean, you can make that argument. But what I will say is that with the Celtics having all of these draft picks and all of these assets that are tradable, um, 
he might be in a very tradable situation. This might not be his peak value, but he's at a pretty good value. And um, with, with all of the moving that could be going on, uh, he, he could certainly uh, be part of the conversations. I certainly think it's interesting right now, Andre, that we're hearing a lot about Rondo more than any other player. Rondo's very engaged. Rondo's cooperative. He's this, he's that. And I almost feel like he's being sold. I don't know why that is. I almost feel like he's being shopped to other teams. See, you know, but you can look at it in two ways. He could be being sold to other teams or he could be being sold to other free agents. You know, it may be ah, good point. You know, may, maybe they're saying, Kevin Love, come play with this guy. He's a great teammate. And he'll you know, he wants to get assists. He'll pass it to you. You can score. Everybody will be happy. The team will be happy. You and the coaches, y'all can sing Kumbaya and win championships together. You know, there, there's more than one way to sell somebody. I do think it's very fascinating, that dynamic between Coach Stevens and Rajon Rondo. On paper, and if you gave it the eye test, they would be polar opposites to me. But they seem to be very harmonious. It's very interesting. Do you get that same impression? Yeah, where, where their relationship has a chance to be successful is that I get the sense that both of them are extremely competitive and both of them really want to win. And so if you have that as your common ground, and, and then you can add to that the fact that Stevens is so young, uh, both as a person but also as a coach in the NBA. So maybe he has a little bit more flexibility. So you, you put all those things together, and it allows for the, the two of them to say, okay, these are the things that we need to do in order for the team to be successful, and, you know, and we're willing to do them. Um, and so as long as they agree on that, then some of their personality, whether they would really hang out together uh, if they weren't coach and player, um, becomes secondary. No doubt this will be continued at a later date. The discussions will go on and on. Rondo, the I think Rondo may be the biggest debated topic uh, in the Celtic universe. I, I just do. Everybody's got their opinion about him. I've gone back. I'm the worst waffler, Andre. I've gone back and forth. <laughs> I, you should have heard me about Jeff Green two years ago. Oh, we're not giving him a chance. Just wait. And now, man, I want to I want to unload the guy, you know, because I think he is who he is. But without further ado, ado, let's go to Sean Devaney from the Sporting News. He's the NBA writer there. Let's bring him onto the show. Thanks for joining us today on the show. I, I guess we should start first things first. Of course, all the talk in Boston is the love story. So, what do you think? I mean, in all seriousness. Is there a real possibility that this could happen? Yeah, sure. There's no question that Minnesota has been put into a position where they've got to make a decision on what to do with Kevin Love because, uh, uh, you know, he's a guy who obviously doesn't want to be there anymore. Uh, and the longer they wait, the more volatile the market uh, is going to get. So uh, if they're getting offers that uh, that they deem worthy, then they've got to consider making that deal. Uh, and certainly the Celtics, with the number of draft picks they have uh, both this year and going forward, uh, are in pretty good position to, uh, to to make Minnesota a good offer. So, uh, yeah, there's no question that, uh, uh, that the Timberwolves uh, in the next week or so are going to uh, really come to the decision Vision of what they of what they want to do with Kevin Love, uh, whether they want to deal him at the draft or whether they want to wait till later. So, uh, you know, I, I would assume that uh, uh, within the next, uh, uh, like I say, within the next week or so, we should have a pretty clear picture of what their intentions are. 
So um, uh, Ty called it a love story. I'll, I'll go with the summer of love theme. Um, if Is Kevin Love option A, B, and C for the Celtics? Uh, if they don't go love, what else could they possibly do? Well, yeah, I mean, I think he's 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 sort of the starting point in terms of uh, uh, when you look at uh, uh, what's what's going to be available on the trade market at the uh, at the trading deadline. Um, oh, I'm sorry, at the draft, uh, he, he's probably going to be the headliner, and the Celtics legitimately feel like they have a chance uh, uh, to, to to get him. So uh, he's going to be the focus, no question. But uh, you know, if that doesn't work out. Uh, there are still plenty of options for the Celtics going forward. I do think that uh, that, that that sort of the uh, the plan and the approach is, you know, you, of course you try to trade for a star if you can right now, uh, but if you can't, then you you know you look ahead to next year and and you're going to have really a great. Uh, free agent class, and uh, uh, it, it's really it's it's a class that's going to have a lot of big guys, uh, you know, guys like uh, um, like Marcus Saul and and Lamarcus Aldridge. Uh, Kevin Love will be a free agent in 2015 if he doesn't sign an extension. Uh, so you, you're going to have uh, uh, a lot of potential targets for that summer of 2015 uh, if you can't make a deal for a star player uh, in short term. Okay, well, um, you know, uh, finishing up this love theme before we move on, um, we've talked about the possibility of love coming to Boston, but Jack, Jackie McMullen is suggesting maybe Chicago. Uh, Rick Buecher is saying maybe he goes to Golden State. Um, where do you think is the most likely landing spot for love? Where do you think he'll be playing next yeah. year? Yeah, you know, I, the, the Golden State is, is uh, one that love uh, – uh, himself has uh, uh, indicated he'd like to go to, uh, but no question he'd like to go to Boston as well. Uh, Cleveland has been mentioned. I'm not so sure that we'll see the uh, uh, the Cavs be able to pull that off. Um, uh, Chicago is is one. Houston. Uh, uh, really don't have a whole lot to offer the Timberwolves in terms of uh, you know good young players. So um, there's there's going to be some competition for him. Kevin Love does sort of hold the trump card here though, you know, because he can choose where he signs an extension, where he doesn't sign an extension. Uh, so you have teams, you know, maybe Cleveland, maybe Sacramento, who would be willing to trade for him, uh, but uh, but but wouldn't get the guarantee that uh, uh, that that he would uh, sign the extension there. So uh, ultimately, the, cattle, uh, the, the, the Timberwolves would like to find a team where Kevin Love wants to go to uh, because that would really help uh, uh, bolster the, uh, uh, the asking price and what they can get in return. Sean, tell us about all this Carmelo talk. Where is this all coming from? Well, you know, I mean, certainly uh, a lot of it comes from his his agency. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's got, uh, uh, you know, he shares an agent with a lot of these guys. He's good friends, uh, of course, with LeBron and Dwayne Wade and and that crew. So, uh, you know, with, with with some of the talk that we've had uh, in the last couple of days about him possibly going to Miami, uh, you, you know, certainly that's something that uh, uh, that, that that comes from both uh, uh, his side of things and from the Heat as well. Uh, it's a consideration. And, uh, you know, whether the Heat are actually able to pull that off, uh, it's still a long shot. You know, it would still require four guys uh, to give up an awful lot of money. 
you know, and that's 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 a really tough thing uh, uh, to ask of these guys, and 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 it's a tough thing to get them to agree to. Uh, you know, your NBA career is short, and you're you're only going to make so much money off it. So uh, most guys want to want to maximize that, of course. So uh, you know, it's certainly possible, but uh, you know, right now I think we're still in the long shot phase. Are the Knicks really wanting to give up on Carmelo? Well. They're willing to give up on him. I think that's the way they look at it. Is uh, you know, Phil Jackson knows that the roster that he has right now uh, is 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 flawed, and uh, you know, there's the be uh, he he can work it and together team that style of ball that, that, that he wants to play uh, with Eric Fisher as the coach. So, uh, you know, it, I, I think there is a certain ambivalence there. They'll try to keep Carmelo Anthony. They'll try to, to, to re-sign him uh, and, and have him be a piece of the future. Uh, but if he leaves, I don't think they're going to sweat it too much. I think that, that Phil Jackson right now has, has a longer-term plan. And, and uh, if, you know, there's, there's, there's two two options. You either have the plan with Carmelo, you have the plan without Carmelo, and I think he, uh, uh, you know, is going to be happy either way. Were you taken back by the choice of Derek Fisher? Well, uh, you know, when I originally heard it, for sure, uh, you know, but but it's been something that's been been discussed for uh, for a month now, so, you know, the fact that they actually pulled the trigger wasn't a surprise. You, uh, when you look at the it is surprising, you know, to have a guy come from uh, right from playing and go right to the bench. You know, we saw Jason Kidd do it last year, uh, and uh, and we saw Jason Kidd struggle early on. I think with Phil Jackson, what he's thinking is, you know, Derek Fisher, like I said, they're not going to be a very good team. So you might as well have somebody you know and like and trust running the team on a day-to-day basis, he, you know, as, as the head coach, uh, and sort of develop him as a coach. And I think that's what Bill Jackson wants to do. I think he really wants to develop Derek Fisher as a coach, uh, even as he knows they're going to be a bad team in the short run, so that when they do put together, uh, you know, a roster that's, that's more uh, more desirable, that's, that's, that's more like the one that Phil actually wants, uh, then, then Derek Fisher will be ready as a coach. So, yeah, you know, no question it's a surprise, but certainly you can see the logic behind it. So um, we've done some talking about um, Mello where love is, is potential acquisition targets. Let's, let's flip the script a little bit. In Boston, obviously, there's been a lot of talk over the last year, maybe the last couple years, about whether Rajon Rondo was really good enough to be the man. Like, is he a, a, a top-tier superstar, or is he a supporting piece? And then you see the stories out of Minnesota where um, Flip Saunders is, is suggesting that maybe Kevin Love shouldn't complain about the team not getting to the playoffs. He should get them there. And then, obviously, with Melo, he's had a long career with a lot of accolades, but he hasn't reached the promised land either. So are Kevin Love and or Carmelo Anthony top superstar franchise championship caliber players either, or are they also just kind of pieces of the puzzle like, um, like Rondo might be? 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I do think that. And, you know, look, it's it's tough to be a championship uh, uh, player. you got to have a lot of things go right. You know, if you're Tim Duncan, uh, you're not getting your team to the finals every year without Tony Parker and, and Manu Ginobili and some of the other pieces that they've gotten. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not quite as simple as saying, you know, this guy's a championship player, this guy isn't, uh, because, you know, the way the league is now with 30 teams, uh, you know, 450, players uh you know if you think back uh uh you know to the 80s when you had uh, uh much fewer teams there were there were much fewer players so you had good players up and down everybody's roster and uh, you know that's not the case now so it's i think it's much harder uh for uh for, for one single player to really carry a team uh, uh, these days compared to the way it might have been uh, uh, years and years and years ago. But, you know, really, I mean, y- you do need a good roster up and down. So I, I don't think it's all the championship players. I just don't think that they've had really good teams around them. I think that's been part of the problem. Certainly some of it is on them. Some of, the, some of that is, is leadership and, and, and doing little things to uh, – uh, to, to help your team win and and uh, the, the way you relate to your other players that's that's all part of it too but you know a lot of it is just look you need the talent and and those guys haven't always had the talent around them Sean to your point do you think the salary cap has made for a lack of competition in the league yeah you know I think what what's happened is um, it's it's sort of made it so that you have some teams that uh, uh, if you're willing to go over the the, the, the luxury tax, you know, you, you'll be able to keep your teams together. If not, you won't. And so you wind up uh, uh, spreading out the talent. And when you spread out the talent, that's supposed to, uh, it's supposed to bring parity. Uh, but what, what's actually happened is it, it really hasn't, you know, when you have, uh, a team like Oklahoma City, and they have to give up James James Harden because they don't want to pay the luxury tax. Uh, you know that's that's going to make it more difficult for them to challenge the San Antonio Spurs. So you wind up with with actually less parity. You know, I mean, you you have uh, a Spurs team that might have lost to that Oklahoma City team if they still had if they still had James Harden, but uh, uh, because Oklahoma City wasn't able to pay the uh, pay the luxury tax, uh, you know, they wind up losing. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I, I, I think what happened uh, is so, you know, the Heat are another good example. You know, they're willing to go over the tax, and they've gone over the tax uh, to uh, to keep this group together. Uh, but, you know, when you have other teams uh, that are trying to build, uh, you know, and, and, and are going to have to make decisions, Indiana, for example, uh, you know, will they be able to afford to keep uh, uh, Lance Stevenson? You know, I mean, that's 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 one of the problems with the CBA is they might have to lose him uh, if they don't want to pay the luxury tax. And that makes Indiana less able keep up with with Miami so I think it I think it does wind up hurting parity which is actually the opposite of what it was supposed to do NBA finals right now what happens to LeBron James if he doesn't beat the Spurs do you think he goes elsewhere no I don't think so I I I think those guys are all going to stay put um, but I don't think they're going to commit to long-term deals you know so you, you could either a they could decide to not opt out. You know, they could they could uh, uh, play out the final year. You know, opt in and and they all have one year left on the deal, and so they could they could just uh, stick around for one more year and then opt out next year. 
Uh, that's that's a possibility. Uh, I think what's more likely to happen is they opt out and and they sign short term deals. You know, they sign uh, three year deals with uh, uh, with with an option after the second year, something along those lines, uh, because that way, you know, it kind of gives them the uh, the opportunity to uh, uh, to get out of the contract and and if things start to fall apart with the Heat, then uh, uh, then they'll all have their own option. So. I think that's what what's going to wind up happening. I think they wind up no matter what happens uh, this year, whether whether it's win, lose, or draw. I think they wind up. Uh, uh, I think they wind up sort of uh, uh, committing, but 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 not committing for too long. So, um, staying with uh, LeBron and his uh, decision part two with the Heat, um, the the long standing rumor was that he was going to finish with Miami and go back to Cleveland, and then. They traded for Luol Dang, and people say, well, how does that affect his possible decision? And then they get the number one draft pick. Um, so two-part questions. One, do you believe there's any chance that he does uh, return to Cleveland? Um, I'm an Ohio-born boy, so I, I need to know this. And two, um, should he? Are, are the Cavs set up to be a better supporting cast maybe moving forward than what he could um, get with the current Heat roster? Well, I, I do think he will eventually go back to Cleveland. I just, I, I just don't think it'll be now. You know, I just think that uh, that 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 there's there's more winning to be done uh, with Miami. I think these guys are still young enough, and and uh, they like playing for Eric Spolstra, and they have a pretty good situation with Pat Riley here. Uh, so, you know, I I, I do think that, uh, uh, that 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 they're going to stay uh, stay around here for for a while longer. Uh, but you know, then I think uh, uh, after that, I think once LeBron kind of has a sense that that things are unwinding, maybe when Dwayne Wade, uh, uh, you know, ages and can't play anymore, or is you know more of a role player, uh, then then I think you'll see LeBron uh, wind up signing back in Cleveland. But I I don't think it's going to be for a few years. I think he's going to uh, uh, play in Miami for a few more years, see how much farther they can take this uh, before he decides where to go next. Sean, in your opinion, where would you rank this Heat team with the Lakers, Bulls, Celtics? Would you rank them up there with those dynasties? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, they're not done yet, so it's hard to say. Uh, you know, certainly uh, uh, if they were to win three in a row, uh, you'd have to put them, uh, uh, you know, I them so late 50s and 60s uh but uh you know you, you'd have to start putting them uh, on the level of uh of the the kobe and shack lakers and and uh uh you know next stop would be uh, putting them up with the celtics and lakers of the 80s but i think they're still just a notch below right there um you know certainly uh we'll have to see if they can win uh you know a couple more then uh then yeah you you start moving them up the uh, uh up the historical chain a little bit but uh, you know right now i still think that they're just a little bit behind uh, uh some of those other teams isn't it amazing though watching the spurs we don't of course know if they're going to win the series but isn't it amazing watching these guys at their age perform at this incredible level I just sit there in astonishment watching game after game that they're able to execute the way they do. Uh, it really is a testament to Greg Popovich, and I don't mean to sing his praises on the show, but we have to almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no problem singing his praises. You know, I mean, he's he's done uh, he's done a terrific job, and and it's not just. 
uh, in terms of the X's and O's. Uh, it's also in terms of knowing his players, uh, knowing the minutes. Uh, you, you know, really nobody does a better job of, of managing minutes. You know, they didn't have anybody playing 30 minutes a game this year, and, and, and he knew it needed to be that way, that, that if they wouldn't get to this point, uh, if he didn't do that and, uh, uh, you know, if he didn't hold some of these guys back in, in November, December, and, and January, you know, you've got, to, you've got to do it that way. And, you know, I think also what, what, what gets overlooked is, is his personnel decisions. You know, so uh, a guy like Boris Diaw gets cut by Charlotte, and, you know, there's, there's just something about the Spurs where they can look at a guy and say, okay, yeah, maybe he wasn't good enough for the Bobcats, but we, we, we see some things in him uh, that, we can, uh, that, that we think we can take advantage of. And, and so they wind up uh, uh, bringing Boris Diaw in, and, you know, now he's starting in the, in the NBA final a couple of years later. So, uh, you know, those, those little things that they're just able to recognize, Danny Green, uh, you know, they had Gary Neal before, you know, he was a guy who was, uh, uh, you know, out of the league, basically, uh, you know, you can go back Bruce Bowen, you know, guys like that. They've they've always had a knack for really finding those kinds of guys uh, and 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 sticking them in their lineup and and getting a lot out of them. I'll tell you, the other night, guys, in Game Three, the Spurs ran a play, and the Heat are supposedly a great defensive team. Although I don't think that's been the case nearly as much this year as in years past. But they made the Heat look like the Washington Generals with the passing they did on a particular play. I just couldn't believe it. It's just, they're fun to watch, and it's true team play, and I'm not saying I'm rooting for the Spurs one way or the other, but I hope we're going to see a return to that style of basketball in the NBA because I think that's what's successful, and I hope we start to celebrate that more in the league. And, Sean, I'd like your thoughts on that, too, that sometimes we spend more time celebrating the dunk and the fast break than actually the teamwork required to win NBA titles. Yes, I, I I wouldn't hold my breath though. You know, to be honest, I just the the, the way the league is is structured is, uh, you know, it's going to be pick and roll first, and then it's it's going to be one on one play next. I mean, that's that's sort of the offense. Uh, you know, I think part of it is the twenty four second clock. You know, you you only have sure. so many options, uh, and part of it is you know these guys are such great athletes that 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 uh, you know it, it's easier. Uh, for players and coaches to sort of fall into that isolation style play uh, and just you know, give the ball to Kevin Durant and say, "Hey, go beat your man and 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 take a shot," you know. So that's 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 sort of where we are in terms of uh, uh, you know how the game is coached and how how uh, players approach it. Uh, yeah, the, the the Spurs are a little bit different uh, because, like I say, I mean they, they they have a bunch of guys from a bunch of different backgrounds. Uh, they they play basketball in a different style, uh, and they're older. I mean. They don't have a whole lot of guys who can beat you one on one. They have to move the ball. You know that's the only way they're going to get good looks. So uh, you know that, that that that's certainly a factor as well. But uh, yeah, you know it, it would be nice if more teams would play that style. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I again, I, I wouldn't necessarily hold my breath on that one. Yeah. Um... I, that, I, to me, it actually relates a lot to that salary cap question you asked a few minutes ago, I mean, that you were answering a few minutes ago. Um, because the Spurs and the Heat, they're, they're almost like two sides of, of the coin, right? Um, the, the Heat followed the bring multiple superstars together blueprint um, that has always been part of the NBA, but in recent years, the late brought. There are 
a lot of times I'll, I'll compare Popovich to, to Bill Belichick. So, you know, you, you've got that model, but they're almost like a, a money ball baseball type team. You know, no superstars. Everybody plays the right way. Everybody knows their contribution. So my question is, if the Spurs are able to topple the mighty heat, and some would argue that maybe they should have done it two years in a row, is this a model that other teams can build upon for potential championship contenders, or will it just always come back to Mike makes right? Well, uh, yeah. One thing you have to remember about the Spurs, if you go back and you look at their the, the history of their contracts and the contracts that their guys have signed, um, they, they've gotten pretty lucky. And uh, the reason I say that is uh, when Manu Ginobili uh, signed his his long term deal, he signed a six year contract after his second year, uh, and I believe it was sixty five million or something like that, or sixty between sixty and sixty five million dollars. Uh, and you know that wound up being a real bargain. But they got him after that second year. He didn't have a great second season in the NBA. He wasn't yet a star. It was obvious he was going to be good, but we didn't know how good. And so they got a little bit of a bargain on that and really it was the same with Tony Parker I mean he was 21 when he signed uh, uh, his six-year deal which I believe was was something in the range of 70 72 million something like that which doesn't sound like a bargain but you know 12 million dollars a year for for a guy of, of his caliber uh, that's underpaid and so they got pretty lucky along the way in in terms of how much they had to pay these guys. They haven't had to pay them eighteen, nineteen, twenty million dollars a year. Uh, Duncan made that you know for a couple of years, uh, but since then you know he's kind of accepted nine, ten million dollar contracts. Uh, so you know they've been pretty lucky with uh, uh, with the way their contracts have worked out. Uh, and you know I just think for most teams you can't count on that. You know I mean right in the, the, the way that things are set up now, it's really hard to just count on. Uh, you know I'll I'll I'll, I'll get a guy. And, and I'll be able to underpay them uh, because, uh, you know, the contracts are shorter. And, uh, and so guys are going to come back to free agency uh, faster. And if, if you have Tony Parker, you know, coming to free agency after four years rather than after six, you know, he's not locked into that long deal. Now you've got to pay him, you know, 18, 19 million rather than uh, 12 million. Well, that adds up. And now you're, now you're in the lecture tax. Now you can't sign a, a, a Boris Diaw or, or Danny Green. And, and so the, the Spurs really have been lucky that way. Obviously, <clears throat> excuse me. Everybody would like to be able to to uh, you know be able to have that situation, be able to have a Spurs type of uh, uh, roster and a Spurs type of payroll. Uh, but you got to you got to remember that they got a little bit lucky along the way. Sean, I I know you've just got a few more minutes. We don't want to keep you, but I want to bring the conversation back to the Celtics. What do you see them doing? Do you see them moving out of the top six pick? They've certainly had a lot of conversations about it. There's been a lot of conversations, really, with uh, uh, everybody in the top uh, eight or so. You know, I think Charlotte at number nine is is the first team that I that that you hear about that that really isn't considering shopping their pick too much. Uh, so yeah, you know, I mean, really, the, the, everybody in the top eight, from what I've heard, uh, is uh, you know is, is 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 fielding offers for those picks. Uh, this probably what we usually see at this time of year is is more uh, more smoke than fire, you know. So there's I, I'm not so sure how seriously uh, you, you know, any of these teams are going to get about moving their picks. Uh, but but certainly, yeah, that's going to be an option for the Celtics. Uh, you know, they they, they do want to bring in 
uh, a legitimate star player. But like I said, they still have the backup plan. And the backup plan is they'll, they'll have plenty of cap space uh, in the summer of 2015. You'll have all these great free agents, uh, uh, you know, free agent big guys out there. Uh, and you'll have uh, you'll have the opportunity to, to re-sign Rajon Rondo as well. So, uh, you know, that's that's sort of the backup plan. If they can't get somebody by a trade, uh, then, they, then they're going to try to do that in, uh, uh, in the summer of 2015. And and, and, and sort of be ready for, uh, uh, for, for what happens then. Sean, always great having you on the show. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's just at Sean Devaney, so S-E-A-N-D-E-V-E-N-E-Y. Sean Devaney from the Sporting News. Thanks for being a guest on Celtics Beat. We appreciate it. Okay, guys. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right, Sean. It's always great when we can have a guest like Sean Devaney on the show to outline everything going on in the NBA and – And, Andre, I thought it was interesting. I thought this was very interesting that he thought love was definitely on the move. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's always nice to hear someone who has kind of the pulse of the NBA um, reflecting uh, uh, things like that, that that it isn't just fan-driven. A lot of the Celtics fans are really, really hoping that love is on the move because um, the thought is he might come here, you know, come to Boston. But, um, you know, so, so it's good to get that perspective from a, a national writer that, that know from what he hears, he, he would agree that, that, that uh, you know, we don't know where love's going to be, but it doesn't look like it's going to be Minnesota. And maybe not Boston either. At least I was kind of reading the tea leaves there when he was talking to us. And I wonder what that will do to the Celtics fan psyche if love doesn't come to Boston. Will they be willing to stand pat and be patient one more year and let things open up via free agency and let Brad Stevens learn a little bit more about the NBA game? What do you think? I would think that that Danny Ainge has bought himself some goodwill because of how he handled this situation before. But if they don't get a Kevin Love, if they aren't able to get a Carmelo Anthony or another big name, I think that maybe the, the, the Celtics fan base would like to have a little bit more insight into exactly where Danny's going, which is hard to do. The GM can't put all his cards on the table, but I, I do think people want to feel that the team is going somewhere, that, that they're not just stuck you know, where, where they are. Well, and I think that that impression, I feel at least, has been made with the moves that Danny has made. I mean, to have the courage to trade Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett to better your future. I was just having this discussion with someone the other day. The Lakers, I think, could have used that courage instead of signing Kobe Bryant to a ridiculous contract <laughs> long-term. Well, not long-term, but a ridiculous contract. They didn't have the courage to trade him and get assets. Now, I'm not saying that you know Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce on the same level at Kobe Bryant right now, but at one time they were. I think that took a lot of courage on Danny Ainge's part. Not that he really cares what fans think or wants to win a popularity contest. That was the case even in his playing days. But the Lakers, I think, could have showed that kind of courage, and they didn't where Kobe Bryant was concerned. Yeah, I I mean, you can go back through the the, uh, Celtics beat archives to the conversations that that we had and that I had about the Lakers deciding on that particular max extension for uh, for for Kobe Bean, I I was not ha- <laughs> I'm not a Lakers fan, but I was not happy about that extension at the time. I think it was just a silly decision. So um, so I would agree with you on that, and I also would agree with you that that yeah, I think Danny did buy himself some time if he needs it 
um, with the results of that trade this year. Not just that he had the courage to make it, but that the Nets looked so average and, you know, that that potentially, I mean, we don't know, but that potentially one or both of them might be moving on from the Nets and that, you know, it just doesn't seem like the Nets are on a championship upswing, which means that the picks that will be coming back to Boston look a lot more enticing and a lot more lucrative. So that would suggest that maybe Danny has some more arrows in the quiver to, to use for the big deal. So I, I think people will be patient if, if he drafts well and says, you know what, next year is when, when we're going to make the action happen. I, I think they'll be patient for that um, because of the goodwill that, that Danny's built up over time. It's time, Andre. It's time for the NBA and five. And let's get started in New York. The Knicks hired Derek Fisher as their head coach. What are your initial thoughts? I think it's interesting. I think that um, Fisher, I, I think that the fact that the Nets were somewhat happy or, or satisfied with what they got from Jason Kidd this year paved the way for that decision. Um, I don't know that he's going to come in and be a great coach, but like Sean said, um, he doesn't expect the Knicks to be that good anyway, and he expects this to be kind of a learning, grooming process. So who knows? You know, I, they got their guy. Uh, we, we'll see if, uh, if that leads to success or, you know, if it's just another story. This really tells me, though, that a rebuild is underway with the Knicks. And I'm not so sure that that means Carmelo Anthony is staying in New York. To me, this would signal that perhaps he's on the way out. Well, what it says to me is that Phil Jackson loves his system and that if he can't physically coach it, he was going to bring someone in that was going to implement it. They thought Steve Kerr, that didn't happen. So he had to go with someone who knows that offense backwards and forwards and who better than uh, his former starting point guard on uh, many of those championship teams. Let's stay on the topic of coaches. What is going on in Los Angeles? At one time, the most coveted job probably in the NBA. Does anybody want it now? You know, we, we talked about the, the Kobe situation, you know, the, the, with the contract. The, the last couple of years, they, they have older players. They, they don't have a lot of upside, a lot of talent. You know, I, I can see it's kind of a, a lose situation because if you come in as the coach, it's a marquee situation. The pressure is going to be there for you to produce. And I just don't know if the talent is walking through the door that's going to let you do that. So, yeah, I mean, it's the Lakers. They'll get somebody, but um, it's maybe a harder sell than it used to be. Byron Scott has been rumored, right? I think he's actually interviewing for the job. Yeah, you know, and he, he's a homegrown product, and, and he's been around the, the NBA in, in several coaching uh, gigs. So, you know, I, I would think that, that he might be good for the, the climate. He might fit in well with the climate, but... I don't think he's a game-changing type coach. I don't think bringing in Byron Scott is like, oh, they brought in, you know, Phil Jackson or Greg Popovich. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, that, that, that he would be a nice guy for that current team. Um, but, yeah, the, the Lakers do not appear to be set up for success in the short term. Talking about the Knicks earlier with Derek Fisher taking over, the Heat may target Carmelo Anthony. We talked that about with Sean earlier in the show. What are your thoughts on that? I think it would be crazy if that happened. I um I don't see Carmelo as the huge impact player that his scoring would suggest. I think he's a really good player, um, but him joining that already, uh, I would give five two thousand, and it's darker. 
you know, that would be pick one, three, four, and five, all on one team, um, which would be bananas to see. But, you know, if that happens, I, I think <laughs> at some point, talent wins out. The, the fit would be crazy with all of those scores in one place. But, you know, as we've seen with the last few years of the Heat, at some point, talent wins out. So, you know. Is there enough ball to go around there? Not for everybody to be what they want to be, but we've seen Wade partially due to health, you know, uh, subsume his game. We've seen Bosch willing to subsume his game um, and, and let LeBron be the man. Um, Carmelo would have to do the same to some level. He's not going there and scoring 30, but he could go there and win a ring if he plays his cards right. And we saw other players do the same thing. Think about when Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen went to Boston. Think about their point totals and how they went down. They became, I don't want to say they were selfish in the first place, but they were willing to give up some points to win a ring, and it all worked out. Yeah, you know, Melo might be at that point in his career. It's interesting, though, because compared to LeBron, Melo has always struck me as kind of having that sense of, I am, you know, going to show that I'm better than, than LeBron and crew as opposed to wanting to join them. So, um, yeah, uh, I don't see it happening, but if it did, it'd be interesting. Okay, real quick, Heater Spurs, who you got? I'm going with the Spurs. I went with the Spurs before the, the, the series started. Um, I think this is their year. I think the fact they came so close last year, you know, still sticks with them. And I think they're just a better overall team. I think the Heat have the best player, maybe the best two players, but I don't know. I, I think this year it goes through San Antonio. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I thought the Spurs were the better team last year, and I've never seen a bigger choke job <laughs> in a championship game with a title on the line than I did last year, but they should have won it last year. They're a better team this year, and Miami isn't the team they were last year either. Exactly. Not nearly as good. And defensively, have you noticed that too? Yeah, yeah, I, I have. They're, they're, they've taken a step back kind of across the board, um, and, you know, that they're still – actually, LeBron is still good enough to, to keep them, you know, near the top – but, yeah, I think they were dead even last year. I think San Antonio's better, and Miami's a little worse. So, yeah, I think San Antonio takes it. And that's your NBA in five, and time always flies when I host with you, Andre. So much fun. Oh, yeah, it's always a pleasure, and uh, I look forward to doing it again soon. Yeah, let's do it again soon. That's it for Celtics Beat. Music for the show provided by Carlos Andres Mesa, Astrovex, and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore beat, and you can like Celtics beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. I'd like to thank our guest Sean Devaney from the Sporting News, for our staff writer Eddie Santiago, executive producer Larry H. Russell, my co-host Dr. Andre Snellings. I'm Ty Ray. See you next Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, where Celtics beat exclusively on CLNS Radio.
I close my eyes.